Okay, so we're back on our first podcast of the new year. Brent Costro here along with my partner, Dave Walton. We're here to talk about the electronic workplace. And today, uh, we're going to kick off the new year by returning to something that we discussed earlier in 2021, which was the Supreme Court's decision in Van Buren versus United States. For those of you who are regular listeners to our podcast, you know that in the Van Buren case um, and in that first podcast, we discussed how Van Buren really changed the way Computer Fraud and Abuse Act cases are both prosecuted and defended, as well as outlined some of the specific steps that employers have to take in order to lock down protected information in computers. Exactly. Van Buren's a very important case because it established what a lot of circuit courts had already ruled, that uh, authorized access to information, to a database, to a file share, to a cloud-based storage, followed by misuse of that information does not constitute a CFAA claim. Uh, and that's been a very important ruling from the Supreme Court. And what one thing that Justice Comey Barrett said was you have to have an added step in order for that authorization, uh, you know, the exceeding the authorization to constitute a CFAA claim, it's got it, that data has to be locked down by something special, something extra, a password protected file, uh, a different level of password that you need to get to certain types of information that sits on a different file share or on, or on a different cloud. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff that you need for the CFAA. So what uh, Brent and I wanted to talk about today is how employers now are specifically using Van Buren to get rid of CFAA claims. Um, in the first case, we wanted to talk to everyone about today is Foley Industries versus Nelson, which is a 2021 Western District of Missouri case from November 30th, 2021. Uh, Westlaw site is 2021 Westlaw 561-4775. Now, Brent, uh, do you want to talk about that case? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we saw that come out of, came out of the Van Buren decision was this issue of, well, wait a second. If an employee is given a computer, in the workplace yeah. by an employer, doesn't that mean that the employee is authorized to use it in the first place? Answer from Van Buren, of course, is yes. But that circuit split that Van Buren resolved was, what do we do when an employee like Van Buren, like Nathan Van Buren in, in that case, actually goes and uses his authorization for like a completely improper purpose? Yeah. Don't forget in the Van Buren case, we had like, he literally was shaking down people with like, you know, and get caught in a sting for, for using traffic citation database information improperly and selling it. Um, but he was authorized to be in that database and that was the trick. Um, and you know, what we see in this case, in the Foley case with versus Nelson is a similar situation. And what really goes down in the Foley case is something we didn't have in Van Buren. In this case, um, we had a defendant who goes in and forwards confidential information and emails to a personal email account. And one of the allegations in the case is that this violates Van Buren because it's not just a use case. Here, what, the, what was alleged is that the defendant not just accessed improperly and without authorization, but also went and deleted and altered emails. Mm -hmm. And the court ultimately rejected that argument and granted the defendant's motion to dismiss under Van Buren saying, look, here's the key under Van Buren, Dave, as you said earlier, you got to have that extra step. The employer has to do something extra to lock down the information. Here, what the court ultimately held in granting the 12B motion is um, plaintiff didn't plead in any way that the defendant went into the computer system 
into like files or folders or databases that were locked down or somehow off limits. And absent that, you can't make out the computer fraud abuse act claim post Van Buren. Remember that key line from Van Buren is where Justice Comey Barrett sort of says, are the gates up or are the gates down? Mm -hmm. Here we've got the gates are just, they're down. So the fact that the employee went and did something more than just access the information or copy it, but that the employee went in and specifically sabotaged the data by deleting it. So there the court said in Foley that it doesn't matter that the employee was quote unquote sabotaging the data, but that that was irrelevant for determining or for looking at the gates up, gates down of the analysis as Justice Comey Barrett coined it. Yes, that's right. Okay, that's right. So let's so let's move on to the uh, next case then. It's Monolithic Power Systems Inc. versus Dong, D O N G. Uh, Westlaw site twenty twenty one. Westlaw four fifty two 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 nine one. Northern District of California, June twenty second, twenty twenty one. Brent, could you uh, tell us about that case? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Monolithic Power involves a situation that we also see a lot in our practice nationally when we see computer fraud cases and employee detection and trade secrets cases. And that's where you have an employee who's um, on the one hand, misappropriating or taking confidential business information or trade secrets out of an employer's protected computer. But also um, what we see sometimes is what happened in the monolithic power case where there's like a flash drive or an external hard drive or some data storage device attached to the workplace computer in order to transfer that protected information in the computer through that. Um, and, you know, interestingly, in this case, the, what we saw was a motion to dismiss the computer fraud claims where the court agreed, granted the motion and held, look, um, it may be the case that attaching the personal devices um, was somehow something beyond an authorization that was granted to these employees by, by monolithic power systems. However, the problem the court found was that, you know, taken together, all of this doesn't constitute a post Van Buren violation of the Computer Fraud Act in part because there's nothing that, that specifically prohibited the access to the information that was taken and the use of the external hard drives, much like we saw in the case we were talking about a minute ago, it's, it's just not enough to have that added fact of some other type of use. Whereas in Foley, it was the deletion where the employer tried to say, look, that we, that violates Van Buren because they did something way beyond merely accessing something they shouldn't have. Here, it's similar argument where it's, well, wait a minute, they went to the trouble to use a flash drive. That's got to be unauthorized. No, it's still an information-centric analysis that says, did the employer or did the plaintiff put the gates up? And if they did, that would satisfy Van Buren. Merely using an external hard drive or flash drive to access data does not trigger a violation. And, and it's the gates up or gates down to the uh, data, right? And, and, and it doesn't really matter what you do with that data what, if the gate was up. So it seems like in a, a Foley, they tried to argue, well, it doesn't really matter if the gates up or gates down because of what, what we did to the data. The former employee went in and sabotaged the data. In monolithic power, it seems like they tried to get around the gates up, gates down analysis by arguing the use of the external hard drive was a different level of access and therefore that exceeded authorization. But again, just like you keep focusing on with the Justice uh, Comey Barrett, 
when she says it's gates up or gate down, it doesn't matter wh whether you sabotage the data or you accessed it from the external hard drive if the gate was up. So again, the focus should be, was the gate up or was the gate down? I would also note that both Foley and monolithic power were both cases under the motion to dismiss standard. Uh, so it, it looks like the court didn't even give them an opportunity to replead and to try to state a claim to get around the finding in Van Buren. And so I think it's for employers, it's good news because it gives you an opportunity to get rid of these claims early. And you don't have to conduct discovery into them. That's right. So uh, let's uh, talk about our final case that we're gonna focus on today. And this is a case that hits home for us because it's out of the Eastern District of PA. Uh, Outcome Incorporated versus Cage. Westlaw site 2021, Westlaw 492331, Eastern District of PA, October 21, 2021. Brent, could you uh, tell us about this case? Yeah, Alcam is a case that's in our backyard, actually, and Judge, Judge Wilson here in Philadelphia um, entered summary judgment in, in a very well-written opinion. This case involved uh, competitors in the highly lucrative liquid nicotine market, and it's a, you know, one of our basic employee defection trade secrets fact patterns that we see. Um, and one of the keys to this was, Judge Wilson pointed out, look, there's just not enough evidence to let this computer fraud and abuse act claim go to trial. Um, one of the key, there were some interesting elements of this case though. Uh, Cage was the, was the defendant former employee in this case and Cage actually lost a cell phone, lost a workplace cell phone that apparently had, you know, all kinds of electronically stored information that, she should, that shouldn't have been on there. And also when she returned her workplace computer to, the, to her former employer plaintiff, guess what, it didn't work. And you know this, this that's something you know we never see that, do we? Mm. Uh, and and so <laughs> what 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 happens in these cases sometimes where you have this is you get a spoliation problem. Yeah. And spoliation for those of you who are uninitiated in the dark arts of evidence mishandling, uh, is is really the legal doctrine of what happens when evidence that's in a litigant's or a, a litigation party's possession, custody, or control becomes suddenly unavailable for one reason or another. And there's very specific rules and doctrines in this. And even in this case, Judge Wilson goes into some good detail on how that should work and how it should have played out. One of the things Judge Wilson pointed out in this case um, directly bared on this, and we had a really interesting intersection of spoliation and computer fraud act law. Um, and one of the things that, that the plaintiff in this case, the former employer said was, well, wait a second, we don't have as good evidence as we should have had on the computer fraud claim because the computer didn't work and because the phone went missing. And if we'd had those things, a working computer and the, the cell phone returned, will we be able to make out our case? Um, Judge Wilson uh, sort of rejected these arguments, but for an interesting reason. He said, look, you, we've seen passing references to spoliation in this case, but you gotta actually file a separate motion on that. You can't just make a passing reference to spoliation of evidence. It's got to be addressed with the court. Um, and for, for whatever reason, that was not done. Uh, and Judge Wilson pointed out, look, I, I can't just, the court can't really just take spoliation, which is a serious matter, and just, quote, resolve that type of serious accusation in papers submitted on summary judgment. It's gotta be addressed separately. Um, so that was, that was a losing argument ultimately. Now, what the court ultimately held though was on the computer fraud piece, there's just no evidence that would support the sort of penetration of the gate being down that would be, would be required for ultimately to have a successful computer fraud abuse act claim. Um, so the court ultimately entered summary judgment on that. One of the other interesting elements of this case was that there was an allegation that 
Cage, who was the former employee, sort of got the information through a third person. It was in the protected computer that should have been locked down. And one of the things that Judge Wilson noted was, look, this indirect access theory and this sort of vicarious liability theory, those are underdeveloped on the record, first of all, and also pointed out that in the United States yeah. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, and that jurisdiction, the Third Circuit, there is not explicit case law, according to Judge Wilson, that says up or down, you can have vicarious liability under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And we've seen other cases that address that sideways and get at it through um, when someone, when a, when a competitor kind of accesses its, its, another competitor's computer system through employees who operate as sort of double agents. That's a little bit different from this. Yeah. We've seen that theory win. But it, this is another case where if you do not have proper evidence of someone going in through a gate that's been put down by the employer, they're going to lose that claim. And that's why Judge Wilson enters. That's uh, really interesting because, you know, I've, I have a lot of experience with Judge Wilson and he is, you know, very intelligent and he knows electronic evidence. So this was a, this was the uh, parties in this case were very fortunate to have him because he understands uh, electronic evidence better than uh, a lot of judges I have dealt with. Um, you know, plus it seems like the spoliation issue isn't going to go away in this case. It seems like they can raise that again. I mean, and as you know, even though they lost on the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, the existence of spoliation can be the most powerful thing in the case because it's the only thing that allows a jury to speculate, which, you know, ju juries are always told not to speculate, but the spoliation, they're told, well, you can speculate. Uh, the other issue seems to be, again, the court's focusing on the fact as to whether the gate is up or the gate is down. It doesn't matter if the computer was deleted or the phone was lost because 99% of the time, the data that's being protected that the employee you know, has to have access to is sitting on a server and that server has logs, whether it's a cloud server or an on-prem server like a file share that's on-prem, those servers all have logs. So those servers will all show activity logs as to whether or not the um, former employee in this case was accessing information that she shouldn't have been accessing in excess of her authorization through the gate down and the uh, penetrating the gate down like Justice Comey Barrett said. The, the other issue that's, that's really interesting about this case is this indirect theory because I mean, as, as you know, I, I do a lot of privacy work too. And what we're starting to see in the privacy world is employees being bribed by cyber hackers and who will bribe an employee and say, hey, I'll give you 40% of the Bitcoin that I recover on this if you give me access and you download this program for me, which is a ransomware program. So, I mean, from a criminal standpoint and even a civil standpoint, uh, it's, it's interesting to think about how the indirect theory might work in that context. Yeah, very much so. So that's all the time we have for today, but we're gonna follow up on this. We've got just a whole wave of post Van Buren Computer Fraud and Abuse Act cases to talk about. And in our next one, we're gonna talk about some of the cases in which we've seen, like we said, people using Van Buren to beat computer fraud cases. We're gonna also turn our attention to cases in which Van Buren's being leveraged predominantly by employers in order to prevail on computer fraud and abuse cases. So for, for Dave Walton and I, we're going to check out for today. We wish everyone the best and we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Thank you, everybody.
This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.